0: time on Chew Diligence, a conversation with James Beard award-winning chef Selena Tio from the shine of the national spotlight.
1: It's kind of nerve-wracking, especially the first one, because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't want to be the person that's, you know, kicked off first or whatever, and, you know, does it help you? Does it hurt you?
0: To the reality and reward of running a restaurant.
1: Great things don't happen to you unless you put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Let me tell you, nothing is more uncomfortable than maxing out your own credit cards Mm. and putting that all on your own bill without any investors or anything.
0: Plus the joy of building relationships. My passion
1: then was food. My passion now is is a business owner is is people.
0: We are so excited to welcome to the podcast studio uh, Lindsay Shively here with Jill Silva and Selena Tifo. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. We were asking, you know, what would you like us to describe as who you are, Selena? And uh, just a lot of things owner, chef of the belfry, consultant, you're consulting. Mm -hmm. A lot of people recognize you from several national television appearances that you've made. Mm -hmm. And then uh, everything else it entails running a business. Yeah, that's literally everything, anything. like climbing on the roof we were talking about earlier climbing on the roof <laughs> we wanted to do a first the food so we don't forget because we have roof stories to tell about the food in Kansas City and it's uh, somebody's birthday as we are recording happy birthday Jill. happy birthday
2: thank you guys i i didn't expect treats but thank you <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm looking at them here which one should i open first well
0: i, I selena's is going to be amazing here. let's look
2: well be amazing, but full disclosure, Amanda Schroeder made them. I love Amanda. I know. That's wonderful. And she's about to is she leaving you Soon. to embark on something yep. exciting Going to, with Katie? Yep. Cro- she's a cro- baker cro- at heart, yeah. you know that. I do know that. Oh my gosh, look at these sticky buns. <laughs> oh Ooh, proper for the gram. Beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Those look Delish. phenomenal! Lots and of I'm just saying
1: there yeah. are there are two. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love it. And we have a fork. Oh, fantastic! So before we get too far in, we're gonna be we're gonna be eating on this. Both and fantastic. Uh, and then wonderful wonderful surprise from from Haley and Haley and I. yeah and Lindsay. So it it's Andres in a bag. Let's see. <laughs> Oh, beautiful chocolate! They do such a good job. Lovely, thank you,
0: thank you, ladies. They had a really nice name for that, and it's uh, just cake and chocolate
2: ganache, layered and layered and layered and layered. It's beautiful. That's going to be hidden away (laughs) just for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy, happy birthday! Thank
2: you. That's really sweet of you guys. I appreciate it.
0: Selena, we always love to ask the guest uh, chef where you like to eat. When you're not eating at your own spots or working?
1: Mm, Well, I go to a bunch of different places for different reasons. I Mm. go to Babasabi because it's right around the corner. Mm, Yummy. And my daughter loves sushi. Mm, She's been eating that since she was one. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, still like caviar, Topicoro, all of it with a spoon shovels it.
0: Do you think that's because you introduced her to the taste or just she's the kind of kiddo who wants to eat that kind of stuff?
1: No, I think it was definitely – I think it's definitely a, a parenting thing. Mm-hmm. And I discovered this at Julian. <clears throat> Excuse me. One time I was delivering uh, mussels to a guest and the toddler was maybe two, reached out for the bowl and the mom yanked it away and said, oh, you won't like those. Mm-hmm. Like that poor kid's not eating mussels for 20 years. That's My gosh. So true. So I I mean, I gave her everything. I'm like, Maya, try this. It's lamb kidney. Yum. She's like, (laughs) yum. It's so good. So all the enthusiasm and the
0: attitude. Right. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. You know,
1: it's like when you're trying to put your dog in the crate, you're like in your crate. Dog's not going to go in your crate. Let's go to your house. Dog runs right in.
0: They <laughs> call our
2: dogs uh, kennels their apartments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got a kiddo you can start working this magic on, right?
0: Well, yeah. And not to totally sidetrack here, but I when you know, taken to the doctor. They're like, give her everything before a year. And that kind of changed my whole world because I thought, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we've been trying stuff yep. kind of to that notion. It's interesting. Yeah.
1: Interesting. So and that's right around the corner from my house. So I love that. Um, go to the antler room. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love that. Cause I like, obviously, I love the food. And love what they're doing there. But I also like sitting at the bar with um, Drew. Hmm. I usually, I like, I prefer sitting at
2: the bar. That seems to be a chef's, uh, you know, you always wonder where chefs are going, right? And that seems to be number one on everybody's list right now. They're very curious about what's, you know, what Nick's doing over there and what the food looks like.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it had been open for so long and then I had, my first visit was only... I want to say, five, six months ago, embarrassingly.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and then, we all have lists that yeah. we need to get through. I'm There's a lot of places that I was working with a chef recently. I'm like, oh, oh I didn't, you know, I haven't been there yet. Mm-hmm. Taste their food around town sometimes at events, but maybe haven't been there yet. But anyway, mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people crushing on yeah. the Antler Room, which yeah. I think is it's a really interesting place. But you're talking about sitting at the bar. So yeah. what, what do you love about the bar? Drew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Drew, the bartender.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know... I'd, he pretty much picks my cocktails, and he could pick anything off the menu, and I'll eat it. So, Cool. Yeah. Where else do I go? Mm. Uh, the Russell. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I always have to get a half chicken mm. and soup. That's pretty much what I do. Yeah. That's yeah. a really delicious place. Mm-hmm. And
0: and comfortable. They've really comfortable, made it so exactly. comforting.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, except for when it's 7 degrees and, like, two doors are open at one time. And you're
0: like, uh. I guess I haven't been in the winter. It's, 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 our Arctic blast is coming this week, too.
1: Well, and it's like the doors constantly open from 1130 to
2: 1215. Because they're so
0: slammed, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yep, exactly. Such a rush. I got there at, like, yeah, eleven one one time and was waiting for somebody. And I was the second table in there by the time we were eating. The place was completely full a half wow. hour later. They really have a very specific rush um, mm-hmm. coming in. And do you think the doors are open because of um, the grill top and the smoke oh, maybe? Or is it no. just I think they just have... so many people opening
1: the door? And just somebody keeping open. <laughs> yeah. It's that. And then they like close weird. and Yeah. I think they fixed that since. But but last winter when I went, I was like, oh, my gosh. And then everybody kept closing it the wrong way. And so there's always a gap. And then yeah. I kept getting up
2: and fixing it. Mm. I love the smell in that place, though, with because of the grills. Mm-hmm. You, you walk out and you feel like you've been doing barbecue. Yeah. Kind of. Mm.
1: But it's different <laughs> than going to a barbecue place. Well, it's a different barbecue smell. Yeah. It's a different smell. It is. It is. It's a but it's that woodsy smell. Oh, yeah. And nothing's better than bread that's toasted yeah. over oak. Oof, and their so desserts
0: good. are unbelievable. They're really good.
1: Well, I had a, a cookie for the first time. <laughs> first of all, they're the size of my face. Yeah, yeah. Which I gave one to Maya and she's like, what is this thing? I'm like, it's a, it's a cookie. <laughs> yeah. But I got the pumpkin ginger snap. So it was very good.
0: And fabulous. All right. So I'm not much go. of a sweets
1: person typically, but I'm I'm down for a ginger snap anytime. But even more of an endorsement, if right, right, right. Yep. right.
0: Love it. Uh, so tell us your story. I think we should start at the beginning, at least of cooking in Kansas City. Was your first job cooking in Kansas City at the American? Or mm-hmm. did you?
1: okay, okay. Yep. That's why I moved to the city, and I had interviewed, and at at the very least, I figured I get to visit two states. And so I right. <laughs> knocked those off my list because I would never been to the Midwest other than visiting family in Ohio. So that was fun.
2: And, yeah, I was there for seven years. And I actually got to meet Selena over the phone before she came. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was still in Florida. You were, yeah. yeah. And just, I don't know, it was a big deal for you to come in and, you know, behind michael and debbie it was you know what what, what's next and Mm -hmm. we're like here she comes does she know what she's getting into it's Mm -hmm. the midwest and she's like nope i haven't been here before but i'm ready and i remember also doing a story you were rock climbing at that time which Mm -hmm. i thought was a very um unusual way to i guess relieve stress as a chef Mm -hmm. are you still i have not done that since
1: be right before I was pregnant or because I was pregnant, I stopped climbing. Yeah. And then I had to actually transition more into hiking because I think there's more of a mental game to being able to hike for 17 hours straight yeah, um, than maybe just climbing a short distance. Not to take anything away from that, but yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that kind of risk-taking. Like, mm-hmm. I won't make the move on a route unless I know I'm going to make it. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so it was hard for me to progress as a climber. Obviously, I did, and you get stronger. And but it's just like I won't just like jump and just expect the rope to catch me. Mm. I'd rather like down climb or say, "All right, I'm ready. I'm letting go of the wall now." So, mm. but hike, hiking for seventeen hours is just that is more of a mental challenge. Mind clearing. Yeah. yeah.
0: Where yeah. did you hike for seventeen hours?
1: Longs Peak, Colorado. I did mm. one summer. We did about or between two summers, we did about
2: nine fourteeners. Colorado wow I just remember that as being something on your bio that I was sort of like I'm gonna do that story I'm you know (laughs) because there weren't a lot of chefs who were doing that but we were we were excited that somebody you know knew was coming to the American and when you got here tell us what you thought I mean was Kansas City at all what you thought it was going to be
1: um I mean, I didn't know really what to expect. Obviously, everybody knows I've grown to love it, and I call it home and have for a long time, and I'm very protective when my mom sometimes says, "As my daughter, she's from Kansas. I'm like, I live in Missouri. You know, I've been there for 18 years. She's like, oh, I shortened it down. I'm like, you can't shorten it down when that's the name of another state. <laughs> like, Going to have to go with KC, maybe. You're right, right. But then, like, so now she'll, like, introduce me to people and I'll see her, like, look at me. She's like, this is my daughter from Missouri. <laughs> so she, like, stresses it with the eyeballs. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, the the city, my stock line, when people ask, is Kansas City has the convenience and culture of a much, much larger city, but the people are nicer. Hmm. Unless they drive. Then they all suck. <laughs> <laughs> Not true. had the best it's luck true. with
0: other drivers on the road here.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, I remember saying that my first week, and that's having lived in Orlando. <laughs> I said that to my first week to a cute couple, like probably in their 80s at the American. They're like, why do you say that? So will people blatantly blow through stop signs, red lights. They're like, Yeah, yeah, we do that. <laughs> so it's not like they're like
2: oblivious to it. They yeah. they know full well what they're doing. You know, we just we're so nice. We have to just break the rules somewhere. Right? Somewhere. Yeah. So that must that must be it. Um The American was was really such an instrumental restaurant in Kansas City for such a long time. It's still very important, but mm-hmm. Being a part of that legacy, how did you sort of weave yourself into the fabric of Kansas City and use that as your jumping off point for your career? I mean, that was the start of Mm -hmm. everything that you've done here. And and it really put you on the national map as well um, and helped put us on the national map with James Beard Awards and and more chefs coming in and doing more work at the American. So talk a little bit about that journey. Um, Well... I would
1: say the biggest thing was I would walk the dining room all the time. So the biggest way I did it not only was just cooking and cooking food that people obviously hopefully loved, um, but it was also connecting with guests. And I always kind of, not joke, but say, you know, my passion then was food. My passion now is is a business owner, is is people. Hmm. And so it's like making those connections and, and developing those relationships with my guests. I mean... The Belfry and Julian had so many regulars, it was like when when at the Belfry, any night of the week, there's somebody from out of town there. And they're sitting at the bar by themselves. And then Matt'll come in and everybody's like, Hey Matt. And somebody else will come in. What's up, Jared? Somebody else will come in. James. I mean, and everybody knows everybody. And so that's a great thing. So it's those kind of relationships that I love about the business and being an owner and being more on the front side in wearing all the hats that I do as an owner. Um so as much as I still love food, my passions have really kind of transferred since my time at the American. But when you're at the American, how can you not be in love with morels and truffles and white truffles and when if You want to, you can
2: and lobster and for everything, anything, lobster pot know? pie, my dear. Mm-hmm. I will never mm-hmm. forget that lobster pot pie. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Even a couple of years ago, I went to Mr. Hall's house and cooked that for him because it was
2: his favorite. Mm. Yep. It was there was a reason it was on the menu for, yeah, for so long. It's just fabulous, yep. fabulous flavors, yeah. But yes, you're right, those high end ingredients, and mm-hmm. then you got in the That was just such a time, I think, just a moment in time where chefs had so much access Mm -hmm. to great ingredients and also doing the beer dinners and bringing in all these different chefs and being able to really bring a piece of the rest of the country into Kansas City and introduce them to what we're about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're barbecue, but not just that kind of tour, I think was so instrumental. It was always a shock to people, you know, and even you know chefs you would come come in
1: and we'd drive around and you talk about home values and and everything like that they're like what that would be eight times the cost in San Francisco or whatever and you know and it was a beautiful Tudor on Board Parkway or whatever and people were always amazed at the city on what how how great it was and they just have had no idea so it was fun to bring you know national chefs that are extremely well-known, to then be able to go out in their communities and talk about, you know what, the Kansas City is a great city, and they've got great food going on, they've got great music scene, great culture, great art, all that kind of stuff, and to show that, and it may be word of mouth and a little bit at a time, but when you have other nationally known chefs mentioning our city, that
2: means something. Did you feel any pressure coming <clears throat> in because we'd had Michael and Debbie win the um, the first the first James Beard Award for Kansas City? Did you... Did you think about that at all when you came in like oh gosh uh, you know it's my turn or i have to work at this or i have to represent um of course i wanted to
1: represent and wanted to do my absolute best i don't know if i would it, it, i considered it pressure i didn't ob- obviously cuz i was coming from the outside and and didn't know but i just had lunch at the russell <laughs> with uh lori roberts from paris communications mm mm-hmm. and they were hired as the PR company, but they're like more of a crisis management kind of PR company. So fortunately, we didn't have to use them in that way. But, they, but that's how important that shift was to that restaurant and to wow. potentially the
2: city. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> so were there a lot of prescribed things when you came in that like the American does this? Or were you given carte blanche and like Selena gets to be Selena? And she doesn't have to be whoever came before.
1: No, the only thing that they said was everybody likes Mary's salad. Hmm. There's like Mary's greens on the menu, right? And, I,
2: and so I'm you like, couldn't oh, take that. Don't, off. don't lose that. Yeah. Right.
1: Right. I changed that in two weeks. I'm like, that has got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and no, but nobody ever said they're like, okay. So, I just changed it, and and we just rolled. Yeah yeah nobody ever told me do you have should do it this way or go this direction or that direction.
2: You were really young when you came though, so mm-hmm. you know your career has has you've progressed where have you gone like when you came what do you recall what your mission was? what was the Selena style' Because I feel like a lot of that may have developed while you were at the American and then you know has been a springboard for you mm-hmm. I think maybe I just kind of Refined it a bit,
1: um, obviously, but it was always kind of global feel-good food, you know. That's a nice term. And I don't, I, and I still like doing that. I don't like kind of mix and matching things. You don't like? Um, No, like if I'm going to make cassoulet, I pretty much make a traditional cassoulet Mm -hmm. or paella or whatever, you know. A couple times instead of rice, I've used orzo pasta as a kind of fun twist on it or something or to make it something where you can pick it up faster for a restaurant, you know, or for other reasons. But typically, I just like making those like dishes um, where, you know, the biggest compliment to a chef for me was somebody said, um, this reminds me of when I was a little kid, my grandmother made me blank, anything. And one time I made cassoulet and a guy came in and said, this reminds me when I was a kid, our family would go to France every year. And I was like, so there's another guy came in and said, oh, I came in for New Year's Eve because pierogies were on the menu and my grandmother always used to make pierogies for me. I'm like, well, you are setting me up for failure (laughs) because nobody's (laughs) pierogies are going to be as good as their grandmother's, you know? Mm. So he did leave happy in the love of the pierogies, but those kind of things. And which is why in the movie Ratatouille, Hmm. my favorite scene ever they managed to capture that exactly when um, ego, Anton ego takes a bite of the ratatouille and then he flashes back to when he was a kid, skinned his knee and his mom made him the dish. Hmm. So that's like the most well captured uh, compliment that happens that like what people what you chefs want to do for with food for people good food is memories yeah yeah uh, mm -hmm, yeah
0: so if you you sound (laughs) like you had a lot of freedom at the american was there Mm -hmm. a moment or a conversation you remember where you decided okay it's time to go out and open my own place um well i had been you know getting recognition national
1: recognition i've been i was invited to I mean my busiest year, I was probably invited to 24 fundraiser events across the country, um, world. You know, I went to this – I was – after I left the American, I, you know, went cooked for 10 days at the Four Seasons in Bangkok and, you know. So you want to take that kind of momentum and do something with it and, you know, my line is great things don't happen to you unless you put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Let me tell you, nothing is more uncomfortable than maxing out your own credit cards and mm. putting that all on your own bill without any investors or anything. So Right, right. It's about as uncomfortable as you can be. And that was
0: for Julian? <laughs> hmm Yeah.
2: <clears throat> Sorry, I've got this tickle in my throat. That's
0: that time of year. Don't worry about it. It is.
2: <laughs> it is. So I want to go back just for a second because you, you said, you know, you're trying to evoke those memories <coughs> and, it, and it's hard to compete with mom. But what <laughs> – not everybody has a mom that, or a grandma that cooks really well. So what, mm-hmm. was your, what was your upbringing like? Did you have a mom and grandma who cooked really well? Because I have a theory <laughs> no. that, that if you don't have somebody who cooks well, perhaps you're better at cooking than they were and because you're hungry, right? Well, this is actually a thing of contention because my mom
1: always says, why do you have to say that in interviews? <laughs> <laughs> that she, she did not cook. But I say yeah. that she gave me my business sense mm-hmm. when I was young. She told me to look people in the eye and shake their hand and shake it with conviction and not, you know, be fleety about things. And so I got my business sense from her.
0: Mm-hmm. Just that as she, important.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. She, but there's no cooking that was done on her part. And that's okay. My did, dad did all the cooking. Oh, and, did, my, and my grandfather, okay. Julian.
2: Okay.
0: Oh, Julian named after your grandfather. Mm -hmm.
1: So it was two names put together. If you remember the logo, the branding, the N was highlighted because it was my two culinary inspirations, Julia Child and then my grandfather,
2: Julian. I love that. Mm Yeah. That was really fun. Um, Yeah. yeah, So what was it like then to start your your own restaurant?
1: It was amazing. I mean, it was challenging. I had an entire crew that I couldn't have done it without them and, you know, probably seven people worked long, hard hours on their own time with the promise of working and opening Julian um, with me. And that's, like, an amazing thing to have that many people there helping you. Um, you know, my dad helped me with the dad loan. Um, of course, then you have to, like, pay—sometimes the dad loan harder than the bank loan because you have to, like, literally explain everything. <laughs> <laughs> so— but uh, um, that was an amazing journey. I, I I love opening restaurants. I would say that's a forte of mine, and which is why I like consulting and do that kind of thing now, because I like setting up the systems and setting up, you know, recipes and all those kind of things. And I just know how to open restaurants. And I like working those long spurts of long, hard hours, like mm-hmm. that are just 16 hour days. You go to sleep at three in the morning because you're you and your crew, after your first day of business, you sit there, drink beers and eat McDonald's or something, I don't know, whatever, and um, and hash out what, what you need to do better the next day. And then you come in at seven and start all over again. Hmm. And it's just, it takes a special kind of person to be able to do that for, you know, sometimes two months mm-hmm. to get through all the changing. I mean, you know, even at the At the Belfry, still, six years later, I'm, like, still changing things and adding stuff. You're always evolving. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the fun part. But that's, like, it's such a fast learning
2: curve, those, like, first, you know, two weeks, two months. I I can imagine it would be really terrifying, though, to—every chef wants their own restaurant, Mm -hmm. it seems. But to actually go and do it after you've had support— You know, because you're behind a, cor- a corporation's behind you. Somebody's yeah. doing the business stuff. Somebody's doing the business stuff. Well, you I mean, you're probably doing some of it, too, because you've been an executive chef, but you step out and it's like, now it's all me. I don't have a PR team, probably. I don't mm-hmm. have... Um, you know, a handyman. I don't, <laughs> you know, all these things that you don't have that maybe were built in in the early days.
1: Oh yeah, I so, mean, I wish I could like just say, "Oh, Kessinger Hunter, my oven's broken. Can you come fix it?" And I never see a bill. That would be
2: amazing. <laughs> so it's kind of like me going out in the world and not having IT behind me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. you just you get to that point where you're like, like I know how the system works, but oops, like mm-hmm. now it's it's different, and and just sort of. Figuring learning things, figuring things out. Talk about some of the things you've you've learned and figured out that you really have nothing to do with cooking that you never right. <laughs> never would have thought as a chef. I I I'm doing what? <laughs> well,
1: I do all my own bookkeeping. Um I think that's important for anybody to do because you really need to a since a restaurant is literally managing pennies. You need to be uh well aware of where things are going and how much things cost and and um, and if you don't know how to balance your own books, then that's – who knows what could happen, you know?
0: Oh,
1: yeah. Um, and that's not easy to do. No. No. For everyone. No. And what's funny is I told my bookkeeper – so I have a bookkeeper, a real bookkeeper that like then does the bank reconciliations and all that kind of stuff. But I do all the entering of stuff. And so she's saying um, – she was asking a question. I said, well, I just add those two numbers in my head and then I input it. She's like, you add those numbers in your head every time you enter this thing? I'm like, well, you know, you just want to – if you don't use it, you lose it. So I just kind of just always add those numbers in my head. She's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, but I, it's not my job. Like, she does it. I wouldn't do it if I, yeah. if I was a bookkeeper. <laughs> right. But you know, it's But like, you're proficient at getting – The numbers down and oh yeah 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 understanding them and and same with having a lawyer for so long it's like I have a pretty solid understanding of all that stuff and how you would set up a company in order to do this that the other thing or you know all those kind of things I still wouldn't sign anything without my lawyer saying go ahead and sign it but
0: Hmm.
2: so who are you working with is it is it local people or are you working nationally um, when you consult I'm curious Um, sometimes it's local Uh Um, some people.
1: Um, the biggest one was Woodside, so mm-hmm. I worked with Woodside for four, three or four, year, four years, I think, mm. doing their menus. Um, and then they have a new chef now, and I think they just rolled out their menu because I just got the email. So <laughs> I'll have to go check it out and get my liver cleanse. Uh, since I own a bar, get the liver cleanse juice.
0: Stay at the spa.
1: <laughs> I actually put a cocktail on the menu called Liver Cleanse because it had was beet juice. Lemon and ginger, but Ah. it also had vodka in it. (laughs) (laughs) it You know, balance
2: out the drink. (laughs) Hashtag balance, right? Absolutely, that's fun. So, if you were, um, if you were advising some young chef, and I know you do a lot of mentoring with a lot of the young chefs around town, Mm -hmm. what would you? What are the big pitfalls? What do you tell them when they need, um, you know, a pep talk about starting their own place? What do they need to know, and what are the big I mean, it the, <laughs> the biggest thing is signage costs more than you would ever think. <laughs> hmm,
1: really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if you need an awning or something, uh, that's pricey. Um, I mean, just expect to – you have to expect to do everything yourself. You, If you don't have that, that kind of desire to learn and do everything, either it's going to be extremely difficult or – you have enough money to just pay somebody else to do it, and you're not out to make any money. You already have it, and you just want to kind of do it as a whim. But I, who would do that? It's just too stressful to do mm. on a whim. I always think, you know, somebody came in years ago, and they're like, I want to buy your restaurant. I'm like, are you a chef? I'm like, no. I'm like, are you a sommelier? No. Why, why would you in, in the
2: world would just some regular person want to open a restaurant? I don't understand. It seems like fun. I mean, when we're kids, we pretend and we play that we have restaurants, right? Sure. It seems fun. Yeah.
0: And I always think, too, like when you opened Julia, and that was largely before, you know, social media was what it was now, right? Mm-hmm. When you consult, is that part of it? Like getting a strategy for social media for opening the restaurant and all that? Uh, No.
1: No, but that is fun because when I was opening Julia I had – I was on Twitter for maybe a year before then, but mm. then I really used Twitter to say, "Should I put all stainless steel in the kitchen, or should I have large white tiles?" And then people would weigh in, and that's kind of how I kind of built the buzz around Julian. So you did early still on. use even social media. Yeah, I did then, and uh, I even went and spoke about social media at the at a National Restaurant Association meeting um, because I had. Even being mostly wine at Julian, right? I had a couple beer releases. I did all through social media, and there were the one I did, the, my first beer release of a of NBB Love, which was my own blend that I did with oh. New Belgium Brewing. Um, there was a, like a line of fifty people out the door before I even opened. Wow! And that was just you know all through social media, and I mean obviously that's commonplace now. But then in 20, 2010 or maybe early – I think it was 2010 yeah. that I did that beer release.
2: I mean there's people all out the door. Do you think some awesome. of that has to do with the fact also that – I mean you've been really great on TV. And speaking of panels, I've also had you on panels. You're very articulate and and you, you've done a lot of that. Is that some of the buzz too that makes <coughs> – Fifty people show up, you know, before social media is such a thing. Were they seeing you on TV? Was that a part of
1: Um, branding?
2: I'm I'm not really sure. I mean, I think one of the things was
1: there are just a lot of beer nerds in Kansas City. Oh, okay. And we have a better (laughs) beer culture, for sure, than even, I think, New York City. It was like to find a craft beer bar years ago, even like four years ago, to find a great craft beer bar in New York City— it was kind of hard. Then They weren't close together. Hmm. They were really far apart. And if you wanted to hit them all, I mean, it was the entire day. Whereas in Kansas City, there are little pockets. You can just go to a bunch of different places. Yeah, And again, one of those things that, that is unexpected of Kansas City is, are those kind of things. Um, and then, um, you know, as a business owner, I always – my motto is give people compelling reason to come see you. So what am I going to give them? Well, they can't have this anywhere in the world but here, which is why I had two private bottlings of Van Winkle 12 Year, I have had private bottlings of Eagle Rare, and private bottlings of um, 1792. And by private bottlings, I got the entire barrel. So as a small business, that was like something to—I had to buy all of it in two shots. Wow, my—it's my, an my, investment, right? So I spent all that mm-hmm. money, and I still have, you know some of that bourbon. But when your bartender can go to a person and say, well, you should try this, you can't have it anywhere in the world but here, the answer is almost always, well, of course I'll have that, (laughs) you know? And so that beer then um, was kind of the the start of me doing that at
2: Julian. That's exciting. Now, you know a lot about wine as well. Mm -hmm. How did you become, I think you've sort of decided you're a beer nerd Mostly or no? No, I'm actually a certified think? cicerone, a certified sommelier, and you got it all across the board.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, I don't have any official certification in bourbon, but I just know a lot about bourbon <laughs> and stuff.
0: I have never heard a stupid question for me. What's a cicerone?
1: Uh, it's the same thing as a certified sommelier or the sommelier program through the Court of Master Sommeliers, but it's for beer. For beer. So it's, they mm-hmm. have the same levels. They're Master Cicerones, and that's like you know an unbelievable amount.
0: Like you can pick up notes of things and
1: – Well, for beer, it's more – it's uh, service, it's draft quality, it's draft installation, it's, you know, troubleshooting. Um, And me being a certified Cicerone, I use all that stuff on a daily basis hmm. owning a bar. You know, I don't have to call somebody. I can check this, this, and this if something's not pouring. I don't call a distributor and say, oh, beer's not pouring. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can f- fix it.
0: Like the mechanics of the lines even, yeah.
1: Yeah. And believe me, there's still times where I'm like, I call people and I'm like, all right, I still can't figure it out. I already did all the troubleshooting I can do. I still haven't figured it out. Hmm. But at least there's some things that, you know, I use that information every day.
2: So um, is the Cicerone test close to sommelier testing? Um, Pretty rigorous and blind tasting and uh, Hmm. identifying regions and makers and that kind of thing? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Is that in yep. one central place where they test people too?
2: The, uh, they test all over the country, but they're based in Chicago. I think that's a—I feel like that's a newer certification. Is that uh, accurate?
1: It's been around, I would say probably eight, ten years, decade maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. But not real old. Not yeah. as not as long as uh quartermaster somewhere is, of course, now.
2: Yeah. But that's pretty fascinating. So you just decided to dive into beer did you when did you start drinking beer when did you start liking the whole beer scene because with fine dining you would have been doing a lot of wine that Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense but were you serving a lot of beer at the american or no that was later no but i would
1: get you know i mean i remember when jb john bryan from boulevard came and brought their first smokestack series Mm. and we had to like he literally pulled that cork out with pliers because they just didn't have the right size cork and it was like near impossible to open those Ah. bottles. Forget doing that table side, especially like, you know, can you imagine a pair of pliers with the American trying to yank (laughs) the cork out? (laughs) But um, I think progressively over my time there, we would sell more beers and kind of talk about it, but still not to the level. Even at Julian, it was maybe two years in, I just um, was really kind of social media and having just trying to get like more allocated things even though I was a little a little bar or a little tiny place, you know. It's hard to it's hard to get some of the the fancy stuff when you're so little and it's the same thing with the Belfry. I mean, the Belfry's tiny. So, to get all those special beers when you're not a beer bar was was difficult, but I managed to do it and get enough things to keep bringing beer people into.
0: Do you think we're seeing more is is beer Kind of exploding more into the fine dining pairing situation like wine has been. Oh, of
1: course. That's yeah. I mean, I think it's been doing that for years for at least, I don't know, five seven years, five to seven years, I think. We, they've been doing fancy dinners with, with beer pairings. Hmm. There's actually so many more options for beer and food uh, than wine, believe it or not.
0: Deepen when you're thinking of like flavor combinations knowing everything you can do with the beer for food
1: well so yeah i mean the, just all the different styles so pete when i did one with uh i did a beer dinner at a uh, beer kitchen mm. uh with randall danner and she she said well what's the menu i'm like well what are the beers i was like well i don't know what's the menu i'm like well the beer's done uh, so <laughs> <laughs> we can't change that, right, but I right. can alter food to make it go with the beer. So why well, don't you tell me what beers you want to serve? And so she wasn't used to it being like that. So she, she always had chefs that were just like, here's the menu. And then she would right. do it, which it's, would, it's so much harder, mm-hmm. right. To find something to pinpoint mm-hmm. an exact dish, you know, and I've done several uh, dinners with Neil Witty, who's a master Cicerone. And then with Boulevard, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. He's no, no longer with Boulevard, but oh, he's he not. was. Okay. Um and and Doug Frost, master sommelier, master mm-hmm. of wine. So, it was a great dinner that we would do called Master versus Master. Mhm. Beer versus wine, master versus master. And so awesome. Yeah, and so we did like three iterations of that dinner. One time Neil picked wine and Doug picked beer. And then one <laughs> I love time it. it was Doug uh Neil picked beer and Doug picked cocktails. And then the last time it was they each picked their own <laughs> Neil Beer and uh
2: Doug wine. And so did the same people come to a lot of the dinners to see the progression? I think that would have been really fun. Or did uh-huh. you just get different different crowds each time? Probably half
1: half of the crowd was the same in each one. And I think one I mean, like a great example is, you know, I made the dish and then Doug talked through the cocktail that he wanted to do and he said, Is there any way that you could make it a little tiny bit more charry smoky on the dish and so yes and so that that's the thing it's like
2: mm-hmm.
1: the spirits are all done you know he wanted a certain balance in the cocktail he just wanted me to just alter one part of the dish and that's that's the beauty of pairing food with stuff is you can just change that
0: makes a lot of sense can you add just a tiny bit more acid yeah yeah you no know, when it comes to beer and pairing with food cuz we talked to Doug Frost about this when he came on it doesn't necessarily have to be light wine heavy food or vice versa. <clears throat> what do you think of the same thing with beer? Is it light beer with heavy food or does it
1: well you can go so many different routes. I mean, sometimes you you think you want something heavy or hoppy with spicy food, but some people may like that because they love spice, but you know, hops are going to make it even more spicy. Hmm. And the hops are going to be hoppier. It's just going to elevate everything. But if you just like that kind of style, then, I mean, it's... it's Personal. Yeah, it's, it's everything is so personal. I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: If, if we looked in your fridge right now, is there a favorite beer you always have, a favorite wine, both? Actually, no. I don't really keep stuff at home because yeah. I'm always at the restaurant. There's,
1: you know, I have like very few bottles of bourbon at home. The ones that I do have, my brother gave me. So I... I don't really drink at home, so <laughs>
2: it's kind of funny. <laughs> well, I wonder what the um, the brewery uh, explosion that we've had here. Are yeah. there? Do you kind of do little tours to see what people are doing at Three Haves or Crane or Alma Mater or wherever? Or are you? I need to get out. With... I need to get out more, <laughs> for sure. But um, yeah, but
1: yeah, I have the I've had the beers at Alma Mater. They're solid. They're really good. Um, I love Keith at Brewery Imperial. Yeah, um, I mean, there's I love just that biscuit so beer. much happening out there. It's I would... like
0: as long as a list as restaurants to try, almost. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. I
1: need to retire so I can <laughs> eat and drink all the food and, and beers and all that, list, listen to all the music that I want to listen to, and watch all the shows that people are recommending to me, and read all the
2: books on my list.
0: That's yeah. all. Is that all? Right, that's, that's all. <laughs> good and, problems to have. Then.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and not only the time, we need the money, right? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> then you're dining out all the time. And... Who wants to fund my weekend adventure? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Exactly. Like a Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um, I'm sure people listening will be interested in knowing a little bit about your TV uh, participation over the mm-hmm. years with mm-hmm. Iron Chef and remind me of all. You've been Top on Chef, several. Master's, Top Chef. Yeah. Iron yeah. Chef America, Next Iron Chef.
1: Uh was the food expert on Bar Rescue.
2: Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah.
0: They're all amazing, but that it's, really intrigues me because the behind-the-scenes of that show, I bet, is wild. All
1: it was them. wild. It was wild. <laughs> um, there's just, like, gross stuff, and then I had to go into the kitchen with somebody that was, like, you know, almost punched John Taffer, and then I had to go in and, like, work with this guy who's already pissed off, and I'm like, oh, God.
0: Oh, boy. How long ago was that?
1: Um, like 2013 or so. Okay. Probably five, five six years ago.
0: What was what uh, was the first show?
1: Next Iron Chef.
0: Next Iron Chef. What was that phone call like to come uh, on to it? You
1: know, I, maybe I did listen.
2: Yeah, no, I, I guess that was the first one. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that you can't remember because I I don't feel as bad that I don't remember. There just I, I just <laughs> there's so many of them that she's been on, and I remember I remember watching the first one you were on. There was a big watch party. Mm. It was mm-hmm. very fun. That was fun because I made the menu that I made on the show. Yeah. And I did two seatings. Oh, that's seedings. cool. That's yeah. cool.
1: So yeah. So people got to try exactly what I made. Man. That was fun.
0: Um, what was the question? <laughs> what, what was it like? Like somebody calling you up and being like, hey, you want to come be on national TV? I mean, that'd be kind of wild. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they did a whole
1: long, like I was pacing back and forth doing a phone interview for an hour. Mm. It was patio. Seating. It was like in the middle of the afternoon. But I remember it being a beautiful day and just walking back and forth by the shed at Julian doing this interview. And then. And they called me again and said, Well, we want to fly you out for an in person interview, on camera interview. So that was weird flying to LA for the day, literally. Mm -hmm. Uh, I flew in, my brother took me to lunch, went to the on camera interview, and then flew home. Fun walking on a plane with like your hands in your pocket. You know, you don't need to carry anything. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, I got my ID, I got my phone, I got a charger. (laughs) That's all you need. Um, And, you know, it's kind of nerve-wracking especially the first one because you don't know what's going to happen you don't want to be the person that's you know kicked off first or whatever and you know does it help you does it hurt you when you're gone from your restaurant um I have to have double the staff Mm. just to like make up for the fact that I'm not there there's just so many different things you know the the staff the server's explaining that I'm not there um, sometimes you would have somebody say, oh, everything's great. Wow, where's where's chef? Oh, she's not here tonight. I thought something was off. Like <laughs> you just said everything was great. You stop. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's kind of, you know, it's nerve wracking. But and, and it was especially that one could have been kind of career changing, obviously, especially because if you're vying to be an iron chef and you become an iron chef, then your life is going to be totally different. Whereas on Top Chef Masters, you know, you're cooking for charity, which is mm-hmm. great. And obviously, we want to bring money to charity, so chefs always do. But it wasn't like not as much was on the line. It didn't sure. feel like to me that as much was on the line. And maybe that's because it was my second. Had it been my first one, maybe I would have thought it was just as serious. But
0: it kind of did they all start flowing into each other? Like one led to one led to one?
1: Right. So the first one, I had to go through that whole process. Top Chef Masters, they just kind of. Emailed me and said, Do you want to be on the show? I didn't Mm. have to interview for that or anything. And then um, Iron Chef America, you know, they just had me battle Michael Simon and then pegged it as a grudge match. I'm like, Give me a break. (laughs) Grudge match. We're both from the Midwest. We're not, there's no grudges. (laughs) I'd like known him for years before we even filmed that show anyway. So, Um, and then, um, oh, what was great? So, one of my, fun stories. is I was at Walt Disney World doing Epcot Food and Wine, which I've done oh. 20 years in a row or so, 20 times I've done it. And um, I, one year, Andrew Zimmern was there my week and I was getting ready to do a demo and I could see the door to the Odyssey and I saw him kind of trucking in. I was like, oh, he must have forgotten something because his demo was like an hour and a half before mine. So... He comes like trucking over to me, and he walks right up to me, and he sticks his hand. And he's like, "I know you don't know me, but I'm Andrew Zimmer, and I just wanted to say, I and my family are huge fans. We loved watching you on Next Iron Chef. I just wanted to say hi." Ah, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was that was cool, and so we've been friends since. Which is why he called me when um, he came in for Bizarre Foods, and I drove him around, and, and everybody thought that that was actually my truck. That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> they <There's laughs> like I didn't know you had that it. truck. And I was like. That I'm like, surely I didn't look natural driving that. They're like, you looked totally natural driving that. It's like, I felt like a toddler driving a school bus. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Right.
0: Oh, uh, that was fun. No parallel s- parking, right?
1: And no. And I had asked, I'm like, are the brakes easy to use or am I going to have to use like, to, like do a couple quad exercises before I drive this car? <laughs> He's like, oh, no, I just got them replaced. They're so easy. And then I try to brake for the first time and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like trying to brake and I'm pressing harder and harder and harder. And I'm like, oh, and you're on what, camera. I'm like, what would it have been if he hadn't got them done and they were actually h- hard to do? Uh, that's that's fun.
0: You feel like you're totally used to like the the making and behind the scenes of TV now. That sure the first <clears throat> one, some stuff was very surprising.
1: Yeah. You know what? I love television production and this is this is why. It is exactly like a kitchen. Mm. It is a lot of people working long and hard hours to produce an end product, which is not very much. <laughs> And sh- somebody is sure as hell gonna give you their opinion about it. <laughs> um, but the only difference is, you know, as opposed to our mise en place is food, their mise en place is people. Hmm. They just have to move everybody around just the right way at the right time to just get everything done and production timing. And
2: That's a out. really cool analogy. I yeah. like that. Everything in its place, but mm-hmm. somebody's gotta direct it and mm-hmm. put, it, put it together. And a lot yeah. of work
0: beforehand to get it there.
1: Yeah it's so much work and then you know after the first show i watched um a movie and i saw this car scene and it was like not even 13 seconds and then i thought to myself i was like that took three days hmm. that 13 seconds of filming it was three days of filming to get that clip
2: mm-hmm. isn't that wild so do you enjoy tv or do you do it more because it's good for your business
1: uh, I actually enjoyed it because yeah. I enjoyed the production. I I liked the whole...
2: You like that. Everything about it, yeah. I think you have to have... I don't know. I, I'm not sure everybody has the personality for that. And I've talked to people who've been on different shows, and obviously all the shows have different personalities and different people. Mm-hmm. But it also seems like some chefs have more of the personality, perhaps, to be comfortable on TV than mm-hmm. other people. I've always been impressed by how articulate you are just in just about any situation you think on your feet and you're not afraid of public speaking obviously. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> is there is there is there something about yourself that you have learned through that TV experience that you're like hey, I'm good at this or mm, I don't really like that kind of No,
1: I never exposure. thought I was necessarily good at it. Um well, you must
2: be I if they keep asking you.
1: Come I on. I enjoyed it. You know what I <laughs> think it is? You enjoyed it. That's good. I enjoyed it. And the other thing is, which I think made a difference, is I went out of my way to learn everybody's name on the production team. Hmm. There's a lot of people. And on Next Iron Chef, I won't name names, uh, but on Next Iron Chef, we were in our now fifth week uh, fi- of filming. And one of the camera operators came out and I said, oh, hey, Jeff, how are you? He's like, I'm all right. I was walking with another chef. He's like, I'll see you on set in a little bit. I'm like, all right. And the chef said, quit making me look bad, knowing everybody's name. I'm (laughs) like, we've been working with these people for five and a half weeks. If you don't know their names by now,
2: you're making yourself look bad. Hmm. Give me a break. And that's something you can take to the restaurant, I'm sure. I mean, do you tend to know just about everybody that comes in? I do. Yeah.
1: And I know their name, and I try to go out of my way. And people are like, you're good with names. I'm like, no, I actually make a concerted effort and sometimes I have to go back and ask again. Mm-hmm.
2: But you do it even though I, do I think a lot yeah. of times people don't want to do it because it's embarrassing and they think, oh, we've all had that moment where we're like, oh, I should know this person's <laughs> name. I'm also good at Facebook stalking. Okay.
0: <laughs> to <That's>, find out. <laughs> that is a skill. It is.
1: <laughs> well, to find out, you know, because I may remember their name, but I might not remember their kids' names or something like that. And I'm like, how are Joey and Amanda doing? <laughs> that's, that's a
0: big deal. <laughs> Is that part of...
1: But that's like utilizing your resources. Mm -hmm. Do whatever you can to make people feel good.
0: And part of maybe business success, too, because we've seen places who might have great food or might have a great location and and they can't make it, you know, but you've run restaurants for several years.
1: Mm -hmm. Part
0: Mm -hmm. of it? I mean, I I think
1: making people feel welcome and like they're coming into your house, that is kind of what I wanted to do. And, you know, my staff hopefully conveys that when I'm not there. Mm. Um, I know that, you know jake has been with me for 10 years he now only works one day a week but you know he embodies that and you know everybody each each of them have their own little set of
0: regulars that come in when they're there and yeah oh wow that's pretty big we talk a lot with chefs and owners about culture Mm -hmm. in their restaurant uh it seems like you are a lead by example kind of chef are there other steps you take to make sure that the culture with your employees is good in your restaurant
1: i mean that's the only way you can do it is lead by example you know i'm I don't ask anybody to mop the floor if I can't mop the floor myself or do the dish I mean I do dishes every single day. Really? Um, yeah, all the time.
0: Is there any I mean you've done every job in your own restaurant, right? It sounds like oh, it.
1: Well, I'm I've been working the line for the past week and a half every night too, so I'm looking for a cook. <laughs> 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 so, you're,
2: yeah. You're about to lose Amanda to mm-hmm. and uh, I mean sh- people come and go right so how yeah. do you, how do you keep continuity i mean i think if i find somebody and they're there for more than 6 months i'm often surprised because there's there's so much movement and there's so much demand right now for culinary talent uh, mm-hmm. we've got a lot of restaurants how do you kind of in all that competition how do you kind of keep well, the the resources you need um to be honest, this is With going to be you. the first time
1: that I've had to, like, legitimately hire somebody for positions because my turnover is not very high at all. And the Belfry is kind of like a one-person show, um, you know, because we're kind of – people treat us as a bar, but some people treat us as a restaurant. And sometimes – I mean, it's rare, but somebody came in they just got two burgers. And they're like, do you want anything to drink? They're like, nope, came to the burgers. That's it. <laughs> so um, – I haven't had to like had to hire somebody as like often as other people that have like whole teams. So okay.
2: yeah. um, is that is that an advantage in this very competitive
1: advantage and disadvantage? Because yeah. when you lose that one person, mm. then you you that's the whole thing. And but yeah. for continuity's sake, you know, all of my stuff is, are, are batch recipes. I mean, like everything is weighed out. Salt is not a matter of opinion. That's weighed out by the gram. So, you know, the polenta tastes the same today as it did seven years ago. I make polenta. That's what it tastes like. Hmm. That's the cornmeal I use. That's how many grams of salt are in it. That's how much cream's in it. That's how much, whatever. That's what kind of cheese is in it, whatever.
0: It's consistency. So consistency and creativity can coexist.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: I think so. Yeah.
1: People, yeah. You know, if I made the lobster shepherd's pie a different way, people
2: like, why
1: did you mess with the, with that? <laughs> why would you change that dish? It was just, it was fine the way it was. Hmm.
2: So... Other signature dishes that you're really proud of? Mm. I mean, our burger is damn good
1: because we make everything in-house. We grind the meat in-house. We make wow. the fries. We make the ketchup, make the pickles, smoke the cheese, if you pick that cheese.
0: How? Oh, you smoke the cheese?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's no smoked gouda that's good. So I get good quality gouda, or as they would say in Holland, gouda. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I had a Dutch friend, so he corrected me. <laughs> ah, okay, <laughs> now we yeah. know. Yep. Um, and then, so it's never good, and it does, it's not melty,
0: so
2: mm. we just smoke it ourselves.
0: Man, that sounds really good.
2: So how would you define your food? I know this is a term. It's super eclectic. <laughs> super eclectic. I, I like mean, yeah.
1: I mean, there's on our menu now, there's uh, flash-fried cauliflower with a walnut miso dressing. There's ramen, steak frites. Chicken and biscuit with honey sriracha. I mean, it's all over the board.
2: <laughs> yeah. So a little comfort, a little Midwest, a little bit uh, yeah. international flair.
1: It's And I've had, you know, seafood and pork belly paella on the menu. It really is like whatever I feel like making at the time. It could be, it, it's all over the
2: place. <laughs> and do you change seasonally? Or are you settling into more, this is sort of the belfry menu? I mean, it is pretty, mo- most of the items are pretty
1: core. So the ones that change are the fancier items um we do like soft shell crab po'boy or something like that mm. seasonally um but i'll change like the main entrees mm-hmm. a little bit more often which so i probably say twice a year i'll change like four dishes or there'll be a different iteration of deviled eggs or whatever something
2: like that yeah so if somebody falls in love with The hamburger, for instance, it's not going to change on anywhere. Yeah. No. Because I think eaters are really split between wanting to have what they want to have that they've fallen in love with. And then also being teased and, um, you know, courted with with new and different things, too, you know. Well, I mean,
1: like I said, when I go to the Russell... I always get the soup and the half chicken. You get always, the same thing. Yeah. I get the same thing <laughs> yeah. all the time. There's <laughs> so, comfort in that, I and, think. Um, which, you know, I should try something else. But, like, I love that chimichurri and the half-roasted chicken with the avocado that's grilled and stuff.
2: Yeah, The soup changes. Exactly. There you go.
1: <laughs> that's my change-up. <laughs> that's your difference.
2: Yeah. And your beer or wine, does that change up? Or is that where you're more willing to try new, you know— Wanting to try new and different things, or is that uh, I got my favorite? No, I mean I always say I have desert island beers, but yeah, um, (laughs) I
0: love it.
1: But um, I try everything, everything that comes in. I don't drink as much beer before uh, as I used to, uh, only because it's just like it's just so much for my stomach. Yeah, and um, uh, so I drink more bourbon, and then I usually let the bartenders just pick because we have. And about 170 bourbons alone. Wow, and maybe 370 whiskeys total in that neighborhood. So the best way for everybody to be able to speak intelligently about them is to try them. So you know they'll pour me an ounce, and then each one they'll take a sip, and then. Then I'll drink the rest.
0: <laughs> How do you amass that collection? Was that in you know most of that right when you opened, or did you just slowly collect all that?
1: Slowly collected it. It's funny if you see pictures from the beginning because we kept adding more and more shelves. Huh. And I mean, <laughs> I said we can add more shelf, one more shelf up there. I've got the wood to do it that matches. And my bartender Jake was like, I can't reach up there. <laughs> How would we get up there? I'm like, that's just the top top shelf. Yeah, stuff. right, right, right. Like the stuff that you don't pull down that often, but you know. Saturday, last, last Saturday at 4 o'clock, as soon as we opened the doors, two guys came in and spent probably $400 <gasps> on whiskey. Wow.
0: I got to know which kind. Which kind of whiskey is that? Well,
1: they had the Pappy Flight. So they had the the Old Rip Van Winkle 10, Van Winkle Family Reserve 12, the Pappy 15, Pappy 20, Pappy 23.
2: Sounds like a drinking
1: adventure. Yeah. And then they had the uh, Black Maple Hill, Kentucky. Um, They're
2: serious about this. Huh? Yeah. Well, and were they coming to you just for that or did, were they doing this on no, a just? Yeah, not a whim. They knew what they were doing, right? Yeah. You become kind of a, a, a destination for that
0: then. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, so wow. somebody called last night. Doug, my bartender, was telling me, he said,
1: I just took this call from the guy from out of town. He said, do you have um, you know, some of those allocated whiskeys? And he said... Yeah, we've got a, quite a lot of them actually. And he said, Do you happen to have Weller Antique? He said, I'll do you one better. We had the entire antique collection. He's like, <laughs> I'm leaving a hotel right now.
2: <laughs> so,
1: that's yeah. fantastic. So, like I said, on any given night, we have three people from out of town because there's a hotel that's right there. But they, you know, and I'm always curious what they look up. And they mm-hmm. look up all different things. So they look up cocktails, beer, bourbon or whiskey and food, and we pop up. So I like that.
0: Where did your uh,
1: affinity for bourbon come from? Well, I I went to a Quaker boarding school, and so we used to go um, to one kid's house. (laughs) We'd go to uh, the Skinner's house.
0: (laughs) And Pennsylvania? You grew up in Uh Pennsylvania?
1: Uh Uh-huh. And then I joke I have affinity for bourbon because we used to, and I don't know if they know this now, but— Sorry, Mrs. Skinner. <laughs> we used to sneak their wild turkey. So.
0: <laughs> That's how it all started. Yeah. When you're, the $400 bourbon bill started all yeah. with wild turkey in Pennsylvania. I still drink wild turkey. I
1: drank wild turkey last
0: night. There you go. There you go.
1: Yep.
2: <laughs> That's hilarious. These are the stories we love that come She's up. She's of age. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so fun. Okay. Well, same with beer. My
1: affinity yeah. for beer came from... Uh, when I was 17, I from the boarding school, we had senior projects and I went to Germany. And so I stayed a, ye- uh, a month, lived there for a month with my uh, aunt and uncle who – she was stationed there with the Army. And I worked at Hotel Aschaffenburg in Bavaria. Mm-hmm. And um, my cousin went to the University of Munich Mar- – University of Maryland in Munich. And so I visited her and I went to the Salvator Beer Fest. And um, that was – I was 17, and I, the first night I was there, I drank three liters in like three hours, which was like so much beer for somebody my size, especially <laughs> that beer. And then the next night, we were playing drinking games, and uh, I had the same amount in like half the time, like an hour and a half. I was carried on the bus. I was carried off the bus
2: <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> back to the dorm. <laughs> kind of a lesson, I guess, huh? Mm-hmm. You probably slowed down after that. Oh or yeah. no. Yeah. Or no, who knows? No.
1: <laughs> and the weird thing though, they, kids drink uh, beer and pe- beer and Coke mixed together.
2: Oh, that's a thing. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. I have never had that thing.
0: Coca Cola, candy ish. I yeah.
2: don't even like Coke though,
1: hmm. so I don't drink soda. Hmm. So it doesn't work for you? No. <laughs> beer cocktails,
2: do they work for you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Some. I mean, you have to have the right beer. Mm-hmm. You know, like a crane beer is great for mixing in a cocktail because it adds the acidity, and hmm. in the case of beet vice, it adds beautiful color. You know, that is a great beer.
2: I really like yep. that one.
1: <laughs> Ginger shandies that that kind
0: yeah. of work. Yeah. well. was beet vice the one you mm-hmm. tasted on our episode? And it, I, I saw your lips go.
2: <laughs> I know. I don't think they had beet vice at that time. What was it? It was um. It
0: was another beautiful well, maybe pink it was. one.
2: No, maybe it was. I think that was my first taste of it. Now I've really, you know, it's so interesting. You try something the first time and you're not sure about it and then you keep trying it and you really start to, yeah, it grows on you and you start to really, I I guess, find the complexity. I think it's just the so, It's the in your face, that first gulp, you know, that it's like, whoa, that's sour. But then Mm -hmm. after you get over that moment, you start to really feel the complexity and the earthiness and. And this year's batch was like very, very (laughs) beet-y. Yeah, and beets change. I Mm -hmm. think that's the fascinating thing too. Um, Yeah, they've been growing some mangle red beets out at Powell Gardens for him that are going to be enormous. And I'm really interested. Like, I mean, seriously, like as big as watermelons, right? They can grow like 20 pounds. And I'm thinking, well, what? What will that do taste like? to yeah to the taste of the beer? That'll be fascinating. I want to um, know.
0: I know. I
2: know. Is that going to be next year's batch? But uh, I mean, because I'll check oh, do in. It's... I'll check in for you. And we'll, I want to. We'll, we'll get some. We'll go get some. Um, yeah, I don't know. Adding apricot, just adding all these different you mm-hmm. know notes, and you go. Yeah, I love that. And then the next year, I'm sure it's going to be different, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's a product that grows and tastes different all the time. And nature
0: and all that.
1: Yeah. Well, the biggest thing I tell people, and especially because we're in a place where they try beers because we have something different all the time and whiskeys, is make sure that you take note of how your day was, who you're with. Because people always say things like, especially with Boulevard beers, you would hear it over and over again. Oh, last year's batch was better. Well, last year's batch was exactly the same as the brewery always says. They're like, last year's batch was the same. Because they, they measured it out, too. They measured they measure <laughs> it out, and it's like, you know, they, like, do, do the hops change a little bit? They have hop pellets. But, you know, all all of those are so dialed in, mm. it's probably the same, right? So I always tell people, make sure you, like, are you having a good day? Did you have, like, are you there with friends? Are you laughing? Are you sitting there by yourself? Because all that has to do with how you're perceiving that drink, that is beer, so true. cocktail
0: or whatever. And there's so, a yeah, large yeah. life lesson in that too. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. What version of you did you bring this situation?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. And notes too. I think that's brilliant and you know, I've heard it before. You hear it more with I think wine tasting than you do with you know, other spirits, but I think it's really important to yes, mm-hmm. take notes and find those words that help you remember and describe what you're what you're having. The other thing is always do
1: side by sides whenever possible. I love doing side by sides because yeah. then, especially with whiskey, there's so many different styles. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, then you can yeah. really pinpoint. You're know, like, you know, when one now that they're all lined up, I really like weededs better than high rise or whatever, whatever the case is. But when you try them side by side, you really can focus in. You know what? Because usually it's like, oh, that's brown liquor, it's brown liquor, it's brown liquor. I like it, I like it, I like it. But they're so different. Uh, next to each other, and it's now it's to the point you know I can I can drink a bourbon and say oh there's there's a malted barley in that mash bill. Hmm. People are like what? I'm like I bet you there's at least ten percent. Look it up, twelve.
0: Nailed it. Wow. Is, wow. There, is there an equivalent for sommelier for bourbon or for?
1: I don't know. I'm sure hmm. there's some. Spirit certification, something I've never looked into that one.
0: I already forgot the beer term. I'm about to say Cicero, and that's not right. Cicerone. Cicerone,
2: You got it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So do you have any current obsession? I'm sure it's constant. You're always evolving and getting, you know, a new bourbon love or a new beer love. Are you stuck on anything right now? Hmm. Probably
1: my own private bottling of 1792 because it's a great value and it's delicious. It's a high rye. Um, bourbon and uh, my inventory is dwindling so I'm loving it even more because I have to savor it. (laughs) Right.
0: Supply and demand. (laughs)
1: It's not going to be around much longer. You know, it's like when you buy a a six pack of beer or, you know, the first one you're willing to fall asleep and you might leave like a third of it in there. The last one you're drinking every last drop of that thing. You're not letting anything go to waste.
0: (laughs) I love it.
2: Next project you have, uh, once that's gone what are you going to do? Um... You're have I don't know, have to maybe distill have to my go, own or something. I, I was going to say, yeah. you know, like,
1: is that is that next? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm kind of an all-or-nothing person, so <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should at least try it. I have somebody that uh, brews beer and stuff, and he said he wanted to s- distill. And he said, you want to distill sometime? I said, nothing would make me happier than standing in your garage distilling and drinking bourbon. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Perfect. Another chef, <laughs>
2: <laughs> no doubt. Lindsay,
0: I love it. This has been are you really thirsty? Fun. I, I'm thirsty and hungry. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> trying to think of what pairs with bourbon. That a probably a burger.
1: Maybe a cinnamon bun. Maybe. Mm. I'm going sticky. Here In fact, right I would. Yeah. I would say cinnamon bun would go with bourbon. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. you no. Know. Of course it would. You know, cinnamon, we'll pass American the oak, over. aged Passing and American the sticky oak. sticky bun
0: over. I mm-hmm. love, oh, I love how much frosting's on this. I'm way mm-hmm. into.
2: I love the crunchiness, too, on the edges. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm always a, like a corner of the
1: brownie person. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, mm-hmm. my daughter's the center one, so it works out well.
2: It does, huh? She gives mm-hmm. me all
1: the crusty things that I love, and she gets <laughs> all the inside gooey stuff.
2: I love it. <laughs> Oh no, I'm good. <laughs> She's never had that before.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, that was delightful.
2: Definitely. Well, Selena, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Chatting Fun. through you have contributed so much to the Kansas City scene. We're glad you decided to come to Missouri. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Me too. I love it here.
0: <laughs> we'll see you next time on due diligence.
2: Bye-bye.